Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. The word of Lord. Thanks be to God. My message today takes a cue from all the recent events, um, which might be considered political or medical, but I assure you I have no intention of making a political uh, statement or offer any medical advice. Um, and I hope to do honor to everyone who's in the medical field. Um, I'm not a politician. I'm not a medical practitioner. Uh, I'm a pastor, as you know. So I'm hoping to examine these decisions about our mass mandates, etc., so we can try to understand our role in them as Christians, and especially as Baptists, with the help of the Bible and a little bit of history, okay? And I don't want to make it so much about what we should do uh, as much as about how we may think about these things and how we may consider what to do uh, as we each make our own decisions. Uh, and, you know, in, ha- have informed decisions in our conscience. Uh, because as we, as we always discuss, there's, there's no division between spiritual life and secular life, you know, flesh and blood and spirit. Um, the witness of the Christian church and the Baptist tradition has always been that our spiritual life informs our secular life and pervades it and not the other way around. We don't tend to accept any influence or authority over our spiritual lives aside from the Trinity, amen? So, two weeks ago now, uh, the Down Island Boards of Health called for an emergency meeting to discuss mask mandates, and I attended in hopes of advocating for live music, saying, oh no, don't end the world for me. But it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. they, They were just discussing the language of the mandate and just how best to proceed with all this. Um, knowing that that the world still needs to turn, you know, and and they're very charitable uh, in in their language, and the meeting w- was very encouraging. Um, and they they made an interesting note because some of the language of the mandate says that houses of worship are covered by this mandate. And one of the folks on the board of health, uh, you can listen to the recording. He he noted. We should be careful with this one because in the past year, the Supreme Court was siding with churches and saying, hey, you gotta, you gotta cut them a little break because 
they have their own ways of, of getting together. Some want to keep getting together. Some have to. Our church, right, we tried Zoom for a while, and then we reverted to drive-ins because we kind of wanted to be together a little more, and we didn't have as much. Some of us don't have internet access, right? So we have a little leeway, and the, the Board of Health uh, wanted to recognize that, which was sweet. Um, and that, that was all based on Supreme Court decisions deferring to the Constitution, right? Well, not just the Constitution of the U.S. Uh, recognizes the right for the freedom of assembly for worship. Interestingly enough, uh, the Massachusetts Constitution, uh, Article 2, I love this language. It, it says, this was written hundreds of years ago, it says, it's the right as well as the duty of all men in society publicly and at stated seasons to worship the supreme being, the great creator and preserver of the universe, and no subject shall be hurt, molested, or restrained in his person, liberty, or estate for worshiping God in the manner and season most agreeable to the dictates of his own conscience, or for his religious profession or sentiments, provided he doth not disturb the public peace or obstruct others in the religious worship, right? It's, it's the right as well as the duty. That's some, that's, that's old fashioned. <laughs> um, and publicly at that, right? It's not just the right, but the duty to worship. Um, and that's something for us to bear in mind, right? Because um, that's, that's an acknowledgement of what we as believers, we believe that it's a duty to worship, of course. Um, and then article, I believe, 106, which is the amended part of uh, the, the amended first part of the Massachusetts Constitution, it says, all people are born free and equal and have certain natural, essential, and unalienable rights, familiar language, right? Among which may be reckoned the right of enjoying, enjoying, and defending their lives and liberties, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you've heard language like that in the U.S. Constitution, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. Um, or as the Massachusetts Constitution says, their enjoyment uh, and seeking and obtaining safety and happiness, right? It's happiness is a right, okay? So it, uh, just in terms of our state's constitutions, we're not even talking about the Bible yet, right? Um, it's, it's an overlooked declaration sometimes. Now, I took this personally last year when, when I was told my services are not essential, right? Um, I took that a little personally. No offense, guys. Um, and, and a friend told me, he, they argued, hey, listen, going to concerts, eating at restaurants, enjoying community gatherings, even riding on airplanes, that's not a right. That's a privilege, right? And I think about this and I say, I'm not so sure. Um, and at least, at least if our constitutions legally say the laws of nature and nature's God beg to differ because they hold it to be a right to pursue happiness, Right? Well, I like to think that something like eating at restaurants, going to concerts, that's, that's for the pursuit of happiness, right? That's what that is. So it feels like a privilege, but even in these legal constitutions, it might be able to be looked at as a right. Um, and, and I think it's important in a different context to think of that, because if we wind the clock back a few decades, right, the civil rights movement, it was fought so that black men, women, and children could not just enjoy the bare minimum of civil rights, but so that they could be happy, so that they can go get ice cream where they want to get ice cream, 
so that they could be in community with who they want to be in community with, right? So they could sit on the bus where they want to sit to be happy, to be happy, right? The Bible is, is more important to us than these constitutions, but it also demonstrates that happiness is a right in Christ. It's fundamental to life. It's fundamental. And we all know we're supposed to bear our cross, and we all know that life is suffering, and, and Jesus prepares us for it. But he also says, I've come. The reason I've come is to give you life, and, and that abundantly. And later he says, everything I've told you, I've told you so that my joy may be in you, my joy, and that your joy may be complete, full joy. I don't know anyone who, who, who falls in love with Jesus because he says, I want you to be unhappy. <laughs> you know? Okay, so back to the Constitution, because we're going all, all into this free association stuff, right? This is, we're trying to figure all this out. Equality under the law should not be denied or abridged because of sex, race, color, creed, or national origin. Creed is what we're thinking about in church, right? Creed. What's creed? It's, it's a belief, it's, but it's a, kind of a higgledy-piggledy term, legally speaking. It doesn't have a legal definition, neither does the word religion in the USA. So I want to put that in perspective, too, with, with how we approach things in the coming months. I found myself in an interesting social situation, walking across the beach, and um, there was a meeting going on that was discussing, uh, I think, mainly vaccine mandates at the school. And it became pretty clear that everyone in the meeting uh, took an anti-vaccination stance, period, just like all the vac vaccines, just not their thing. For the record, I don't share that sentiment, um, but I respect that for them, it's a strongly held belief. Uh, so strong that it, it drives them to go against the grain and try to figure out, how are we gonna fight against this kind of thing, right? In the public health crisis. And that reminded me of conscientious uh, objectors, right? Because uh, I believe it was in 1965, uh, United States versus Seeger. Um, these were cases where the conscientious objectors weren't religious. They weren't religious people. They didn't, they didn't go to church. They didn't have religion. They just had strongly held beliefs. In that case, um, that strongly held belief was considered a, a religious belief, con considered protected by the First Amendment, religious belief, right? So there's, there's a precedent in America for a religious people being exempt from mandatory practices in this way. Now, there's this pervading claim that there aren't religious exemptions from mandatory masking, vaccinations, etc. It's not up to me to decide whether that's legally true. That's, that's a judge's thing. I don't wanna get into that, right? Um, but what we're trying to do is raise the question of what role our religious observation, what role our spirituality uh, plays in this and, and how religious people may think about this, right? And, and how we can make our own decisions and how we can also engage with people who wanna make different decisions, right? So let's look at the Bible. Since we're thinking about religion, that's our religion, okay? Head coverings, face coverings. That's big in the Bible, right? You see St. Pa Paul talking about how women should cover their heads because of the angels. 
Uh, you see Moses veiling his face to shield them from the, the glow of God's glory. These are all spiritual concerns for face coverings, but face coverings have more than just spiritual reasons in the Bible. They have public health reasons too. That's the reading we just read in Leviticus, where it says a leprous person shall tear his clothes and let the hair of their head hang, hang loose. So you want to see that this person's a leper, right? They have to designate who they are by wearing certain clothes and they also have to cover their face, right? To prevent transmission. And then they have to yell unclean, unclean to let people know I am not healthy, stay away. And they have to live alone and they have to be outside the camp, okay? So lepers were required by law to cover their faces uh, and, and more than that, they had to quarantine, okay? This is something I know a little bit about in modern times, okay? Because this is an ancient law, uh, an ancient Jewish law, but it was appealed to in a really rough way uh, back in the 30s. And in Germany and Poland, um, all these signs started appearing around that said, Jews carry typhus, okay? Jews are vermin, Jews are lice, they carry typhus. And, and this was a public health campaign. And uh, I've relatives who remember this. Um, and it was used to, to, to quarantine the Jews into their ghettos, okay? And some of the Nazi messaging appealed to this Levitical laws. Hey, by your own laws, you should be quarantining right now, okay? So when we look back at those times in that community and what was happening to the Jews, we often think this was all about race, right? That, that this public health thing that people were saying Jews are genetically inferior. Um, and there were definitely some nut job Nazis who thought that, forgive the strong language. They definitely thought that, but the general public, um, they just believed that it was the Jewish ritual purity laws that were the cause of the public health risks because they had certain rules about washing their hands with water, right? If you've ever been to, a, to an Orthodox Shabbos, you wash your hands uh, with water. You don't use soap. So the ritual purity you, is not necessarily uh, the same standards as when you go to a restaurant and it says, make sure you use soap, here's how you wash your hands. They had their own rules about that. So the religion uh, was blamed for, for the public health menace. So again, we all have our own experiences of this. I, I, I'm from a Jewish family. I'm from Jewish ancestry. Holocaust is something I learned a lot about. We always say, never again, right? You know those words, never again. So that's what we say when we promise to ourselves and each other that we'll never let anything like that Holocaust happen again. Um, or, and this is what, what we don't think about as much anymore, or just the discriminatory and hateful behavior that led up to it because People nowadays uh, aren't as educated about the persecution that went on for 10 years before people were sent to genocide camps, right? And too many people overlook that persecution as if it's acceptable simply because it wasn't yet escalated to the point of genocide, right? So can we say that that kind of treatment in general is okay so long as people don't die, right? I don't know. I'm not so convinced. In either case, it was never acceptable, neither for Jews nor even for their fellow Germans, uh, both of them subjected to the evils of the Nazi regime. They were both forced 
into these positions. One was forced to be a victim, the other was forced to be complicit in oppression. But in, in both cases, they were segregated, right? The bonds of community trust were forcibly severed. So, again, this is, this is a controversial comparison to make, and I'm not trying to make the extreme co comparison. I'm just trying to examine that. We, we do want to be sober-minded when we reflect how public health was used to justify that type of persecution and how, again, it was their religion, their, their purity practices that were blamed, you know, for, for, for carrying disease. Um, th this is happening to this day, and, and we should be careful of how we think about it. Like, in my old neighborhood in Brooklyn, um, there, there was a big issue with uh, Orthodox Jews having funerals, and they had to be shut down. Um, and if you, if you read through NV Times, um, the comments, or Islanders talk um, was, was kind of nasty and sad but this past year people have been blaming the Brazilian Christians for spreading spreading COVID um, and again this is something we want to think about too if we're going to be upset about unvaccinated folks I, I was talking to a, a friend a band leader who tours and does big shows and they, they want to do you know vaccination screening but they're concerned because they know that I think in New York City, I think it's like 70% of the black population isn't vaccinated right now. So they're also trying to say, how can we be inclusive, um, racially inclusive, and, and still walk this line of public health, right? They don't want to accidentally, due to public health, create racial segregation. See how it's all comparable, right? without making such an extreme jump. I'm not talking about how this is comparable to genocide, I promise it's not. But these are the things that we have to think about. None of these facts, of course, change the fact that COVID, that typhus, they're serious diseases, right? Leprosy is serious. That's why the Jews took to wearing face coverings, masks. It's God's law. Wear a mask, it's gonna help you, right? That's God's law. And it, in practice, it wasn't just for lepers either. Healthy folks back in that day would wear face coverings too because they didn't have testing, right? They didn't know if they were carrying something. They didn't know if they got into contact with someone that they'd be safe. So a lot of people wore them anyway. Um, in some places, uh, the religious authorities who interpreted Torah, they expanded the purity laws so that most people were wearing head coverings and face coverings, okay? Back to the Bible. These are the traditions of men that Jesus talks about. The traditions of men. The lepers bore the brunt of these traditions of men. Okay. Because um, in the law, they were required not just to wear masks, but to separate themselves from society. That means they weren't allowed into markets. They weren't even allowed to worship in synagogues. They were denied entry everywhere they went. So... You can imagine the problems caused when Jesus started spending time with them, right? He didn't just heal them. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 both record that Jesus and his disciples dined with them in their homes, at least one, Simon the leper. According to Jewish tradition, when a leper is healed, you're no longer called the leper. So if he's having dinner with Simon the leper, he was having dinner with a leper and so was his disciples. This is one of several reasons that they said Jesus and his followers, they're unclean. They're unclean. But 
they themselves didn't hold anyone to be unclean, as you can see. So the Gospels record those lepers, when Jesus encountered them, they didn't do what they were supposed to. They didn't say, unclean, unclean. Remember what they said? They said, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they approached him because they wanted to be a part of community again. They wanted to be desegregated, right? And for them, there wasn't no arguing or arguing about masks or are you inoculated, right? They, they, they just had this profound desire to live, to be free, to be happy, and to be included. That's all they were concerned about, right? Um, while everyone else turned them away, Jesus didn't. He didn't chastise them for breaking the rules like some of the religious authorities did, you know? He said, he didn't say, listen, cover your face and stay away say, and tell everyone you're unclean. Instead, he drew near to them too, and he touched them, and he healed them. And you'll note... In, in the Gospels, he doesn't perform any purifying rituals after. He doesn't wash his hands. These lepers broke all the rules. But interestingly enough, he didn't break any. He didn't break any. So you can see the, the role that grace and mercy played in this, where he didn't have to break the rules in order to approach the leper. But he had to be forgiving in order to forgive them for breaking the rules. I mean, this was the son of God. These guys were breaking God's law. Grace and mercy allow miracles to happen, okay? And that's how he healed those lepers. Now, the Bible doesn't expect us to go around healing lepers, right? But it does say, follow me. And, and Jesus says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So we have that little challenge. I don't know if I'd go to a leper colony, right? It's scary, but nonetheless... St. Paul instructs the churches to worship God according to their individual conscience, okay? First, he says, you need not be compelled to certain religious practices. He says, don't let anyone judge you what you eat or drink, if it's kosher or not. Don't worry about holidays, new moons, Sabbaths. Don't let anyone judge you about that. But he also cautions people against basing your religious practices, your life practice, around what is expected of you in the world, he says, if you've died with Christ to the spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? Note the invocation of purity law there. These will all perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings, end quote, right? The spirit who inspired this passage is the spirit that we want to inspire us. Okay, in our, in our worship. And our worship is 24-7. It's not just when we're here together. It's 24-7, every step of the way. We cannot, we should not compartmentalize our religion or our creed to our house of worship alone because the Christian life is summed up by these words from 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice at all times. Rejoice at all times. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. At all times, rejoice at all times. Doesn't that remind you of how important happiness is? Not, not just our life, not just our liberty, but even our joy is more than just a privilege. It's a right, and it's God's will for us in the church. If you're in the church, if you're a believer, then we have to submit to these words. It's God's will for us. 
All that Constitution stuff, that's great. It's a right. Great. In the Bible, it's God's will for us. That's what we care about. So, may I humbly submit, let's not be quick to condemn one another uh, for choices pertaining to health and purity. Because if we, assuming that one's choices are sincere and knowing that Christ came to release us from purity laws in order to restore us to freedom of conscience in pursuit of purity. That includes personal and public health, right? Mask or no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. He wants us to be pure. It starts with the pure of heart. That's what he's concerned with. And, and you know uh, better than anyone else the, when you take that risk uh, from your heart to go out into the unclean world, right? And to sacrifice your safety to do that. Thank you for doing that. Um, and I also like to add, um, just my opinion, um, maybe in the USA, freedom of conscience is not just protected for the religious, but also for people who might not be members of a church. And I think of this every time I play music, right? Because there are so many people who say they don't believe in God, but they say music is my religion. I'm like, okay, all of a sudden I'm playing a religious service here, okay? Um, and also there's a lot of people who say love is my religion. Well, God is love. We got to take that seriously, amen? Right? So, okay. Our legal constitutions acknowledge that all these freedoms are blessing. They say that they're from God. Massachusetts Constitution, Constitution says that explicitly. Okay. Who cares, right? What the Bible says and what the Bible promises to us is the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's the freedom that comes from the knowledge of Christ and, and, and relationship with him. That's what we concern ourselves with. We don't want to tamper with that. We don't want to tamper with that. And so the Bible and, and the Lord and the Spirit, they want us to have freedom of conscience. They also want us to serve one another, okay? And they want us to... Walk that tightrope, and we're hoping that all manners of conscience will be dealt with in perfect liberty. No compulsions, not simply for Christians, because the Bible requires that, but even for citizens of mass, right? All these little history things we just read today and in the United States. These constitutions recognize something um, that, that God's divine mandate is for freedom. They, they recognize it in their own way. Here in the church amongst ourselves, if we believe that Christ died for the world, then we know what he died for. And we know that he died for this divine mandate of freedom so that we amongst ourselves could be a law unto ourselves, you know, so that the law could be written on our hearts instead of on a stone that smashes us over the head, amen? Mm -hmm. So in the end, it comes down to what it always comes down to. In your freedom, choose love, amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.